Why are you nervous? Because there's this thing where like, I think it's a lot of things Leos do when nobody's watching, like we thrive. But when we feel like somebody's watching, then we go into performance mode and we get really afraid. Hey, I'm Kimberlyn. And I'm Dara. And we are In Process. Okay, let's start from the beginning. So when you asked me to do the podcast, I said yes, um, emphatically, because I am a manifesting generator. And um, I felt like this was something that I was supposed to do, that we were supposed to do, um, especially coming out of, um, you know, the pandemic that we've had that's impacted us in the way that we grow and process and um, evolve. And I felt like there are things that we have to say that a lot of people need to hear. Um, but then as soon as I said yes, I was like, oh, my gosh, what am I doing? Um, because that's usually how it works. My um, spirit and soul and intuition <laughs> says yes and knows before my ego and flesh take over in my mind. Um, and so one of the things that I've been wrestling with as it pertains to this podcast, and I think a lot of people wrestle with when it comes to like purpose and destiny is knowing that you're supposed to be doing something, um, especially as it pertains to impact, but also wrestling with fear um, and saying, am I, am I good enough? Do I even have what it takes, especially when everyone else is doing the same thing? Um, and so coming here, I've been kind of nervous about whether or not the me that I've been working on for the past two years or so um, will be accepted by the masses or everyone else, which I don't know that that's something we should be concerned about as humans. Yeah, it's interesting. I think we as humans and me specifically and what you're sharing right now, you specifically have an innate desire to be liked because mm. it's connected to love. And I think ultimately that's the ultimate, right? That's very redundant sounding, but at the end of it, love is really the biggest thing that I think we are all chasing and striving towards. Then you and I come from different belief systems, but they orient to the same place. So when I say love, I say it in this case with a capital L. And so when I think you would say source with a capital S or God with a capital G. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, I think we come from that place that is ultimate love. And I think we're always striving to get back to that. So when we say we want to be accepted, we want to be approved, that's love. We're looking for love. We're looking for doses of that. And it's interesting because I think not everyone wants to be famous. I remember doing that New York Times question. It's like 40 questions to ask you to see if you're in love or you're compatible for love. I don't remember what it was, so don't quote me on that. But it was really interesting. I did it with a friend once. We were sitting at a diner in New York after a show or something, and we pulled out the questions because we felt like, no, oh, this is a great way to connect just with a friend. And one of them is, do you want to be famous? And she was like, hell no, absolutely not. Because that's not the way she seeks love. She doesn't necessarily seek mm -hmm. it through the approval of others. Whereas since I was in middle school, I signed yearbooks saying, and this was non-ironic, didn't feel like it was hyperbole, wasn't trying to make myself seem something. I wasn't trying to do it because I was being an ass. I, like the, It truly was coming from a place of like what I thought was deep knowing. 
And I would sign it and say, keep this, it's going to be worth something one day. Because I had this premonition as a young person, I didn't know to call it that at the time, where I said, I'm going to be famous in my field. And to me, there was a distinction. I don't want to be famous in the sense of A-list, everyone knows me, I have some like talent that is lauded around the world. But I felt like whatever the way I'll carve out my destiny, I had some premonition it would be thought leadership to some degree, which lo and behold, to some degree, it has become that. And I felt that I would just find myself in that position. And depending how I define that, depending how others define that, I have or have not achieved that, I'm not sure. Ultimately, I think it matters what I think. And that's no longer the bar to which I am reaching. But I think that goes to say that there are different ways we're all looking for love. And I think you and I happen to have in common in this time in this space, that desire to please because one, I think we know if people aren't listening, our message falls on blankness, <laughs> like mm -hmm. it just falls on crickets. And if it is heard, it's hard for it to be received if it's received negatively. And certainly, I think ultimately, for me, I'll speak to myself. If people don't receive it well, it really makes me struggle to sh keep showing up because then I feel bruised and bumped against things. And I've had that happen many times where the stuff I have said has triggered things in other people. And the more I have grown and been in process and been learning about myself and other people, the more I understand that that actually has little to do with me. Although there is, I think, a distinction that two different parties and schools of thought would have. And I tend to find myself in the gray on most things. So I can see both sides. I can appreciate both pieces. There's a difference between taking a moment to pause and say, what was my intention and then what was my impact and taking responsibility for the impact, even if it didn't match your intention mm -hmm. and to do what other people say, which is just like, just say it and who cares what anyone thinks because that's their trauma and their triggers and has nothing to do with you. And I think both are true. I think that two seemingly opposite things can coexist and both be true at the same time. And that's complicated because then we recognize there's going to be an impact to what we're saying. There's going to be an impact to, you know, our best of intentions that's not going to be aligned or matching. And that the louder, the bigger, the more frequently we or anyone else shares anything, the more often there's going to be that in return. And what I've come to recognize over the many years that I've been sharing thought leadership through multi dimensions of platforms, whether that's print media or digital media or podcasting or radio or, you know, interviews with celebrities or whatever, that the cost of admission for showing up is to know that there are going to be people who are not going to like what you're doing. That could come from places of jealousy. That could come from places of just complete BS of them just looking for a reason to tear you down. It could be triggering to them. It could just be the wrong time for them to hear that message. They could have heard it 80 times before and feel like you're bringing nothing new and interesting to the table. And I personally have veered more and more over time to the side of I've had enough data and experience of historical evidence to show me that me keeping quiet does me and no one else any good versus when I do show up and that the benefit by far outweighs the detractors. One thing that I've had to learn over the past few years is that as long as I speak and show up in love with integrity, um, with truth, um, and I've, there was um, an inventing Anna, um, uh, Laverne Cox's <laughs> character said something, had a quote, and I have to go back and find it, but she said, show up and tell the truth wrapped in love, something to that. Mm. And like that stuck with me. And I've had to realize over the years, as long as I show up 
um, and say what I need to say in truth, in integrity, in love, um, I am no, I am not responsible for how people receive that because, and uh, what I've also learned is just because someone has a negative reaction to what I said, doesn't mean what I said was wrong or I shouldn't have said it. Sometimes that negative reaction is the um, impetus for them to do what they yeah, need to it can do. Yeah, be a catalyzer. Yeah, it's a catalyzer. And I'm a fire starter. So, <laughs> you know, I have to own that. So even if somebody gets upset with me, I have to know that even if you're upset this moment, it's going to do a world of good later. And I have to remind myself because, you know, there's a people pleaser in me. And it's so funny that you brought this up because this, the theme of love and also ego is something I wanted to bring to the table today. Um, because I, for the past two years during the pandemic, with the onslaught of the pandemic, um, I went on this journey of love to find out what love was and the true definition of love. And when I say I went on a journey, um, I went on a journey spiritually. Um, you know, growing up Christian, we're taught that God is love. We're taught that perfect love casts out all fear. But I never knew what that meant. We we're taught love conquers all. Like, what does that mean? Um, especially when I um, put it together with the the ideas of love that we're taught in the media or we're conditioned to um, understand as young women. Um, and it's been an interesting journey to understand what love is spiritually, what's God, what God's love is, what agape love is versus eros or philos or um, the other word, the other. <laughs> the other You're word. sounding so on it. The other, the other love, all the different versions of love. Um, and it's taken me two years to really understand. And what's interesting is um, in 2017, I came across um, this book by my favorite author, Ryan Holiday, Ego is the Enemy. And that was my first introduction um, to Ryan Holiday's um, books. And Ego is the Enemy really, really changed my life. Um, and I'll always cite that book because I realized how much ego and fear play out in every decision that we make, everything we do as humans from the time we wake up to the time we go back to sleep, like our ego and fear are always at play. And I recently read that um, somebody tweeted that at any given time, two people, people are looking to do one of two things. They're either um, reaching out for love or they're reaching out to give love. So either we want to we want to spread love, we want to give love or we're looking to receive love. And I think ever since I saw that tweet, I've been thinking about like the actions that we do. So what are those things guided by? And I think it comes back to love. And I've just been on this journey and I'm reading um, all about love by Bell Hooks and the way that she goes in talks about love in every aspect of our lives has been so amazing. And it's really helped me understand this concept of love. It's not just a noun, but it's more like an umbrella that houses everything that we do. Mm, that's really interesting. I think about several things you said that one, I always go back, I don't know why, to the Will Smith memoir where it starts chapter one with fear and ends chapter whatever with love. And he talks about how those, in interviews, he talks about how those are the polarities. These are the dualities. Is It's either fear or hate or it's love. And maybe if fear was the first chapter, that, that makes a lot more sense. But I think about it too when I'm, like you're saying, making decisions, like some of the things that have been hardest for me to make decisions around, like whether or not to start a family or, you know, be in lifelong partnership, which come very naturally to other people, but to me were very different roads to get to. 
I remember so many times saying to myself or Brendan, my partner, saying to me, you're really approaching this from a place of fear and not from a place of potential, from abundance, from love, from any of those things. And I remember being stuck in that pattern for so long and just journaling and saying to myself, I don't recognize this person. This person who is explicitly coming from the fear and the lack and the all the negative, like that's just not how I show up. That's not how I make decisions. And it completely blinded me to everything on the other side. You know, I'll use my nerdy business owner jargon, PNL, like everything on the other side of the chart or the ledger. And, you know, we can convince ourselves of anything. We can negotiate or strategize or rationalize our way to whatever thing we want. So when you talked about, you know, truth, truth is slippery because your truth and my truth could be very different. And we can both stand in that and have a real firm argument for it. I mean, for goodness sakes, look at the the state of the world right now. Look at the United States. Look at our political system. Look at the way that everyone feels so strongly convicted in their, quote, truth. And everyone's entitled to that. But obviously, yeah, that's where some of this rub begins when where is that coming from? What's the root of that? Which goes back to that intention again of you said cloaked in love, wrapped in love. When we come from that place, I think we find middle points so much more easily. And there's such a softer landing spot than when it comes from the place of fear. You know, I love that concept of truth. Um, it's it's something that I've um, thought, thought about, like I go back and forth about a lot. Um, and I I do agree everyone has their own truth. I think that we are so self-centered as human beings that we can't accept, like you said earlier, that more than one thing can be true at a time. And I think once we accept that there can be more than one truth at a time, um, that's where a lot of our issues go away when we think about like racism and experiences of the the phobias and all of those things, there's a place where there's a world in which we can all come to the table with our truths, with our existence and say, this is my experience of what's happening. This is your experience um, of what's happening. And I think, um, I don't want to get the story wrong, but I'm thinking about this workshop, the storytelling workshop that I went to at Georgia Tech and it was around diversity, equity, and inclusion. And we did it, there was an exercise that came about and um, the facilitator told us that there was, um, at nighttime in a neighborhood, there was a black man going for a jog. There was a black man walking and there was a white man going for a jog. The black man was, it was dark in the neighborhood. The black man had his hoodie on, um, his hood up, and um, the white man was jogging. And both of them had thoughts where they were both afraid of each other, but mm. for very different reasons, right? As we all can, as we can imagine what all the different reasons are. And that was mind, um, that was, that was mind opening for me because um, as a black woman, I'm only thinking about what my fears are, you know, in my own experience. And as a white person, you're only, you're only thinking about what your fears or your internal conflict about not wanting to have conscious, unconscious bias and all those things are. But in that moment, I thought about how both of those fears can be true at the same time. And I also thought about where and when do we discuss this? Do we have this open dialogue? 
The only way we can do that is if we decenter ourselves from the problem. It's kind of like when they talk about marriages or long-term relationships, it's not you against me, it's us against the problem. Mm. But a lot of people can't get to the us because they're so centered in themselves and their own ego and fears and experience. Mm. That's really interesting. I don't have anything to add to that because you just said that really well. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, I'm just talking. I just, I'm just. But that's uh, the beauty of it, right? That like when we create the spaciousness to talk, to process, to learn, to be, to grow, that can look like so many things. Like I think that's the beauty of like why we're sitting on this couch because this is what we do. We make a plan. You come over. You sit your butt down. (laughs) I ask you some sort of question that's seemingly innocuous like. What are you learning? Mm-hmm. What are you processing? And we end up in a three or four hour conversation because I think it gives you almost permission sometimes, I think, for you to let some of the stuff click and piece together. Like you all will get to know Kimberlyn, but <laughs> one of her most amazing features, in my opinion, is that within the matter of hours, she's like learned something new, had a new download, had a new realization or awakening, and she's constantly in that process. And so, me, one of my highest values is growth and learning to put myself in a situation where I'm able to learn alongside her, even if we're not having the same experiences or lessons. It's a gift to me too, to let to hear her process, which is also why we're sharing it here, hoping that it'll also be a gift to other people and that we can hear some of your processes as well. But it's really important to carve out the space and the intention for that time. And sometimes like I process well in writing and I process well in conversation because I begin to let the neurons click and fire and meld in ways that sometimes the pieces don't click together when I'm just going through the thing. And while you and I both have practices of pause and meditation and for you absolutely prayer and things that are in that vein, different ways of process can help us put the lessons together. So talking, I think, can be a really great one, which kind of leads to the question of like, who are those people in our lives? Do, and this is also like a rhetorical question for the listeners, is do you have those people that you feel safe enough, that you trust enough to be in process with in the first place? Yeah, man, I think that that's a really important question. And it's so interesting. I've never thought of myself as a verbal processor. Um because I've experienced verbal verbal processors and they can be stressful people. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, it's like, don't come to me until you've figured it out. Um, but I think I'm somewhere in the middle where like I have these thoughts myself and then there are people that I do talk. There are people that, there are probably three people that I can trust that I can just pick up the phone and just start talking and they can help me put the pieces together. You can't do that with everyone. Um, Who are I, they? I I experienced that with um, my free, my previous employer and she would just like verbally process. And it was so stressful mm-hmm. because every day was a different thing and a different idea. And I think in leadership, you have to be very careful with yes. that. Um, but when it comes to like, you know, your friendships, your think tanks, um, you know, I used to for all the biblical scholars, I used to I had a friend who I would call her Elizabeth, my Elizabeth. And um, because in the Bible, when um Elizabeth came over to Mary or Mary came over to Elizabeth. Don't 
You just invited those biblical scholars over. Now they're like, hey. Right. Um, when uh, Mary and Elizabeth knew that Mary was pregnant before she could tell her because her belly leaped. And so I have those people in my circle where I want your belly to leap if I have an idea. If your belly doesn't leap, that means that it's not working. And so being able to have those like belly leapers in your circle is really, really important where, <laughs> where you can just call and you can process. Um, I, Dara, you're one of those people for me where I just, <laughs> you made it to the belly leaping. Top three. <laughs> you're one of those people for me where I can call and I can just, or we can sit and talk and I'm saying, this is what I'm processing and I don't have all of the words, but you always somehow give me language for the thoughts or the feelings that I have. And it's like, oh, okay, one, I'm not crazy. Mm -hmm. Two, there's language for this. And whenever I find out that there's language for that, I feel less alone or less, you know, crazy. <laughs> Which is interesting too, because even though it often feels like more directioned of you sharing and me listening. I'm gaining so much from it, too, by being the person who gets to glean from what you're experiencing. So, yeah, I don't I, I just wish that I wish for everyone listening, ultimately, that they have those people, that you have those places that are those soft landing pads where you can really share and not feel like you have to have it all together and not feel like you have to know all the answers and that you can show up two days later and be like, you know what? Uh, let's unlearn that because it's time for this new learning and that's okay too and that ultimately you can appreciate both pieces of that conversation the listening the receiving the sharing the mirroring as well as the divulging yeah one thing that i was um talking about the other day is how a lot of times especially if you've had friendships for a long time or relationships um with people, a lot of times their identity is tied to a certain version of you. Um, and we can talk about, you know, codependency, we can talk about all these things. Um, but a lot of times, particularly our childhood friends um, or childhood relationships, they have identified themselves with a certain version of you. And when you're no longer that version that they've identified themselves with, it can be um, seen as a threat to them. And it's saying, okay, well, if you're, if you've moved the mile marker here, what does that mean for me? Mm -hmm. And it can cause, um, discomfort and tension. And a lot of times we don't know where that's coming from, um, because it's steeped in, um, fear and ego, right? So like the, the fear of being replaced and the ego serves, I've done a lot of um, study on the ego too. The ego serves to protect us. So when fear and ego combine, um, we kind of lose our space. We lose our identity with the person that's growing. And I bring that up to because in talking about hoping that you have a safe place to land, I think that um, one of those key ingredients is somebody being able to hold space for you to evolve and grow. And one of the um, things that's been important to um, my relationship is that making sure we're holding space for each other to grow. And in order to do that, we have to decenter ourselves from the relationship. So if I say I'm feeling this way, my partner has to take himself out of the center and not say, oh, it's me that's making you feel that way. No, this is how I'm feeling. And we do that for each other, vice versa. And I think that that needs to happen, has to happen in friendships because we are all 
Um, I don't like to say this because I'm a perfectionist, but we are all in process. Like I'm always looking like, when are we, when am I going to be done with this? Um, that's something else that the pandemic has taught me is that it's okay to be in process. You don't have to know everything. You don't have to have the answers. You just need to show up, you know? Mic drop. <laughs> and and, and Tell us the, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, and in the spirit of showing up, I think about one, the first um, TED Talk that I ever saw was Elizabeth Gilbert's um, TED Talk on genius. Um, she is also one of my favorite authors as well. Um, she talks about how um, in historical times, I won't say the era because I don't remember, but in historical <laughs> In history, a scholar say, and a wordsmith. <laughs> let's say in medieval times. No, <laughs> many many years ago, um, the idea of genius was more of a spirit that came over you, as opposed to like saying this person is a genius. And I remember my I was in grad school, and my opera theater um, teacher had us watch this video. And she talked about how she was working on Eat, Pray, Love, and um, she just had a hard time writing the book. And she learned that her only job was to show up and let the genius hit. And so the way she explained it was in the historical times, like genius was not a person. Genius it was like the was, muse. Yeah, it was a muse. It was mm-hmm. something that overcame you. And then as we started to um, get into the eras of like man is the center of the universe versus God is the center of the universe, then people started taking on the um, personality, the character trait of the genius. And so with that came more ego and came more pressure. Um But when I heard her talk about the way that genius used to be looked at, it's like, oh, there's a lot less pressure. All I have to do is show up. So even today for this podcast, this our very first recording, it's like, oh, my gosh, what are we going to talk about? Am I prepared? Prepared for what? Like, I just have to show up and I have to trust that, you know, source God for me, like that I'm a vessel just so that and so that God can flow through me and whatever needs to be said is going to be said whatever needs to be heard is going to be heard and that goes back to trusting yourself and trusting ourselves and doing the thing that we're called to do that we feel led to do even if our mind our human mind hasn't you taken. said the word vessel mm-hmm. and that brings me back to the exact moment where I made the shift for myself of like holding myself back because of the fear of how people would respond or to your point about identity and previous earlier relationships, I immediately went to how are my friends from high school, from college, from early career going to perceive me when I had different incarnations of myself. I was an earlier, less evolved version of myself. I was pretty unconscious for many years. And if I'm going to show up publicly in a certain way where I'm sharing openly and being in the process out loud and allowing myself to be learning as I go too and encouraging that for others. How do I do that and not feel like my ego is the thing that's getting in the way? I remember I explicitly put a post online where I said, I've come to recognize that I'm just a vessel of a message that can be expressed uniquely in the way that I'm, you know, in this package of me and that some people will connect with that in a certain time and space and others won't and that's okay. But I almost needed to put that tent pole in the sand for myself to say, okay, kind of like before this moment, I was afraid. And after this moment, I'm still afraid, but I'm doing it anyway. 
And I'm doing it because I recognize the more I actually decouple my own ego from it and realize it's not actually about me at all. I am just, in your words, the vessel. And that's the exact word that I use too. I'm just the vessel of this message in service to myself and to other people using the expression of my unique set of gifts in this way that I know how. And that freed me so much because I was able to look at it and say, if you make it about you, you're going to make this a problem. If you make it about service, mm. it will be very different. And it has been very different. And that doesn't mean that there's never moments where I fall back into the ego. Of course I do. And when I can recenter myself on the service and on I am just a vessel and there's some sort of like I believe that we are souls in sort of this vessel of body that made a soul contract again, which feel free to disagree. We made a soul contract to come into this incarnation at this time in this space because there are certain things we need to do, lessons we need to learn, evolutions that we need to, that not need to, but evolutions that we have made a contract or a commitment to work to get towards in this incarnation. And so I feel like the more I can do to reconnect with that inner knowledge and that inner wisdom, that inner self and that soul being the less it matters about like how it feels to me personally or my own ego getting afraid of someone's mean Instagram comment or their catty remark to my newsletter or, you know, whatever the other thing is. When you focus on service versus making it about you. I think that that's something that um, I've struggled with for a long time. Um, and it's come up for me the past four years, too, with um, work and service and, you know, the difference between making it about me. And I think, you know, there's so many there's so many facets to that, like when we talk about making it about me. Um, I think a lot of times people who do work in impact and change, um, it's very easy to make things about us and what we want to see. And I think when we say, oh, you're making it about you there, you know, your mind immediately goes to this like selfish thing. But I think when we talk about like making it about us, it's are people going to, are we going to piss somebody off? Are we going to do this? Are we going to yeah. say the wrong thing? And that's, what's important. Not like, oh, we're making it about us because we want the shine or we want the glory or all that. It's more like, how are people going to perceive? And that's something that I struggled with um, as it pertains to working in the social impact space is always what are people going to think? And a mentor told me like, I need, you need to stop making this about you. It's about being in service to others. And that's something that um, my Christian background has taught me too. like when you are in service of God, when you are in service of the kingdom, like you can't be concerned about what others think, you know, in the Bible, Jesus said, I'm about my father's business. And I have to remember that. But at the same time, the world conditions you to and you talk about soul contracts like I've been thinking a lot about, you know, children, how like amazing kids are, babies are, children are, because they come into this world with these soul contracts. They know what they're supposed to be doing on this earth. That's why you see so many videos on YouTube or like on social media about parents freaking out because their kids said something like, oh, there's a man in this room. Yeah, kids are so spiritual, totally. but the world, yeah, the world reprograms, whether it's through school, whether it's through, you know, adults who have just, um, 
you know, become cynical and things like that. Like, remember how many dreams we had um, when we were kids and think about like everything you want to do as a kid and think about it now. Like, would you see world trainer (laughs) until I watch Blackfoot? (laughs) Like, see, you know, like and then took biology, (laughs) all of the things that we wanted to do as children, all the things we thought we could do. And adults are like, oh, you know, stomping on it like you'll never do that because of the things that we've been through totally it's almost like hazing where it's like I went through this you're gonna have to go through it and it's uh, so many adults have been so disconnected from that channel from that source from that potential from all of that that like they become hardened the world hardens you they go through hard stuff and that's their perspective and so they think that they're sheltering the child they think I'm helping you they think I'm protecting you from pain and I totally respect and appreciate where they're coming from and they're closing that channel for that child. Absolutely. And and it's just been coming to me so much, um, so much more often now as I'm just thinking about, you know, what I the things that I want to accomplish and like so many things like I remember telling my mom like, oh, I want to do this. My mom was like, Kim, you wanted to do that when you were a kid. Like this isn't new. And so I think a lot of times we forget the world makes us forget what it was that we wanted to do. Well, I will say, starting at the conversation, Kimberlyn's body language is very different. Now she's looking at me with big doe eyes. She's very happy. She's feeling very expansive, I can tell, which is really cool because it's also just a full circle reminder of where this conversation ended, that we came in where Kim, you basically said, like you came from this place of more contraction and a little bit more fear and apprehension. And now I think you've really ended from this place of service where you're a full body. Yes, I can see it in your entire stature and physical (laughs) well-being right now. Which is great because that's our whole point for being here is to be modeling and in the action of the things that we're talking about here, that we are in process, that we are perpetually learning and growing ourselves, that we will feel differently about certain things in the future and change our minds because we will have grown and outgrown things. And that's okay. And that we're not going to allow the fear of not being perfect or having it all exactly how we think is the quote end or final destination, ready to go in a perfect thesis format or formula. So here we are, and we are in that process. And we thank you for listening. We invite you to the process with us. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of In Process. If you learned anything, had any major takeaways, or have a topic you'd love for us to discuss in a future episode, please reach out. It would mean so much to hear from you. If you enjoy this and you want to keep hearing, please subscribe, like, and review our show. Until next time.